Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivid section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always... Connor Rebush, we're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the O2 Arena in London, England, headlined by a heavyweight top contenders fight between Tom Aspinall and Marcin Tybura. Talking about the prelims right now, though, with a featured prelim bout between Davy Grant and Daniel Marcos on a card that is fine. Like the the prelims card is is pretty all right. It's got the, a lot of chat in a- it. Uh, yeah, the card as a whole is good, largely because of the main card. But there, yeah. there's enough, you know. These are prelims. It's you get a pass for prelims. Yeah, you get a pass. When the main card's good. And as long you know, you're, you're throwing Davy Grant at me. You're throwing, exactly. you know, Joel Alvarez at me. And this is where I'm willing to to acknowledge that a card is still good with logic. Like, you might not care about this fight, but when you look at the fighters, you're like, oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's so, not enough for me to call a, a main card or a card overall good, even though that is often the case because these fighters are out there trying, you know. Yep. But for the prelims, they're prelims. I don't expect to know everybody's stories, to yep. know all the characters. And so, yeah, I look at a fight like Davy Grant, Daniel Marcos, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. Yep, pretty much. And it is. It's, uh, it's definitely going to be good because Davy Grant is – um, a clever brawler, and um, Daniel Marcos is a slightly less clever brawler. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but still That's an true. effective brawler. Yeah, guys Mar- undefeated in fourteen fights. He was quite impressive. Yeah, and, he uh, really showed up in his UFC debut. A uh, big thing that really stood out to me was that he is, while he's a brawler, his his technique is just that little tiny bit tighter than mm-hmm. a lot of brawling MMA fighters. Mm-hmm. And he has a, a solid sense of body positioning enough to string combinations together mm-hmm. in ways that make his brawling just that little bit less predictable. He looks like somebody who's probably done some boxing. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he, he is absolutely a brawler in that he's, he's aggressive and he, he's perfectly happy to get hit and mix it up with people. But, um, like you said, he knows where he is in the exchange. Yeah. He will overthrow on a shot and, but then end up settling into like a head slot where he doesn't immediately have to continue throwing or recoil and get hit on the way out. He's like, okay, my head's in. I'm going to wait a beat to see what he throws. And then maybe I got to move. Maybe then I got to throw back, continue yeah. the exchange. He he's, um, he's not a mess. Technically no. he, he can navigate an exchange. He's, yep. he's truly comfortable in them. He's not a panic brawler. He's somebody who likes to fight. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is absolutely going to be a fun fight for as long as it lasts. I think it looks highly likely that somebody's probably getting slept here. 
mm-hmm. uh, or at least they're both going to take a ton of clean shots. I don't honestly have a super strong feeling as to who wins because I'm not sure Davy Grant is going to get to pressure. Um, and he can be a weird, tricky counterpuncher, but he is going to be dealing with an unusually fearless opponent who is happy to get inside the arc of his really wide swings and put combinations together on him. So I, I'm, I'm kind of expecting a pretty close fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Any ideas as to what tips it? <laughs> well, I mean, I, part of me feels like I have to bank on Grant because... I have seen him. He's more proven. He's more proven. I've seen him stay comfortable in more fights like the one I expect him to have here. And I think the way that Marcos fights is going to give Grant a lot of opportunities to land his shots. For sure. And I don't think Marcos has the changeup that usually takes Grant off of his game, which is somebody who can find grappling positions through the brawl. You know? Yeah. Who who can get into a position where the brawl is ongoing, Davy Grant is doing surprisingly okay with it, but oh, his, his opponent can take change it up and take him down and then make him pay for the same aggression he has standing that he shows on the mat. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the proven thing is why, I mean, obviously, instinctively, I'm leaning on D- Davy Grant's direction as well, but... The, the, the trouble I have with picking this is that it doesn't necessarily look like one where Marcos absolutely needs to take Davy Grant out of his game to still get a fight that he likes. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. That is but the, the only the only question there then is like Who, who's more experienced in that fight. Right. Well, like, and, and yeah, how much it we it looks like Daniel Marcos likes that fight because he won it against Simon Oliveira. And he's had other performances where he can win a fight like that against low-level opposition. Yes. But how much does he like it against somebody like Davy Grant? Yeah, I, I see no. Yeah, I see no reason to think he isn't going to be able to hang. But it has yet to be proven. That's yeah. the reason to pick Grant here. Yeah, it's really. If just... it turns out that Daniel Marcos is happy to slug it out with Davy Grant, it, that's perfectly possible to me. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, just means a very close fight where, I, I don't know, it's going to come down to the wire as to how you score rounds or who gets knocked out. I, I quite like Daniel Marcos's game, actually. As much as he is a, a hyper-aggressive, risk-taking fighter, like, yeah. he puts good combos together, he hunts the body, mm-hmm. he knows how to cut off the cage reasonably well. Like, th- there's a lot to like in that brawler style. Um, I'm going to take Grant just because... I have seen him in a bevy of high-level wild fights, and I know he can handle himself and keep coming up with ideas for 15 minutes. But uh, um, I, I, I haven't seen anything yet to indicate that Daniel Marcus is going to like break just because his opponent also wants to brawl. I'm expecting yeah. a crazy fight. Yeah. I, and it's all fair. And it's also just to the fact that Davy Grant is 37. Yeah. And he fights a young man's fight. For sure. 
it is, you know, it's what if Matt Brown, but there was no area where he's way more technical than anybody. Yeah. But Brent Brown always has that clinch that like, oh, if you get him stuck there, if you if Brown can can stick you in that clinch, he can really dominate you there. Yeah. Davy Grant doesn't he doesn't have that. And Davy Grant might have all this experience, but if you actually look at his record, um, there's something of a pattern there to like wins and losses. Like a lot of the wins, you they kind of make obvious sense to the, to yeah. the point that they're not super impressive that he won them. Yeah. You have like a completely busted Rafael Sunsau who still like almost beat Davy Grant at points. You have the unfortunately uh, incredibly under athletic Luis Molka. Yep. Um, Jonathan Martinez, you know, good fighter, got caught. It happens. And then like Martin Day, Grigory Popov. Yeah. And then losing to guys like Damian Stasiak in there. And and then clearly better fighters like Cheeto Vera and Adriana is just yes, they still he still has tough fights with these guys. That's what's impressive about Yeah, that's Grant, the thing. But he doesn't he doesn't win those fights. Yeah. Um certainly as far as we know, Daniel Marcus is more like Martin Day and uh and and Jonathan Martinez than he is the other guys, but still they're all yeah. pretty close. Look- wild fights yeah i'm i'm gonna this is one of those like i just need to see more out of marcos before i pick exactly exactly but i'm not gonna be all that surprised if marcos goes out there and ends up being the first knockout loss on grant's record sure and and one way or the other like i said i i think this will be a lot of fun to watch yeah because yeah grant he just he is uh you know, he, he is going to press his kind of fight. He's going to be a wild man. And at some point, that will start wor- stop working to a lower and lower level. You know, mm-hmm. more and more fighters will be able to make him pay for that. Marcos could easily be one of them. Sure. But at the moment, yeah, I just got to keep thinking, okay, the, the fights I really see Davey Grant lose are fights where somebody who is tired of his relentless aggression and wild winging odd angle power right. can take him out of that and make him pay for the big risks he takes on the mat too. Yeah. And they're also like elite physical specimens in one way or another. Like, yeah, yeah. He, 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 he doesn't beat a lot of great fighters, but the guys he loses to are pretty great. Yeah. Or, the, or like I say, you know, if you're going back to Manny Bermudez and Damian Stasiak and Chris Holdsworth, yeah, they're just guys who right. they can get him stuck into a fight where he's going to take he's going to make bad decisions and they're going to be there to capitalize. I don't think right. if Daniel Marcos feels like he has to take Davy Grant down, I don't expect him to start out grappling. Davey yeah, Grant. if you're going to take Davy Grant in his own terms, I should say you yeah. better be elite. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to pick Grant here, too, but this should, yeah, it should just be a wild brawl. And honestly, you know, Marcos might be the dude to to make Grant really pay for that. Yeah, I like him. You know, yep. Marcos is the favorite here, in fact. Oh, really? 114. He's currently a minus 134. He's unbeaten. And I think, you know, odds makers yeah. and, and a Grant small favorite, but still, I'm surprised. Yeah. Grant is such a proven quantity. Grant opened at plus 103. He's currently a plus 121. Okay, all right. I mean, basically even. Basically, still, I, I would expect Grant to be the favorite. Yeah. We were both pretty impressed that Marcos was able to get such a good win over Simon Oliveira. 
but it also in that fight really showed Simon Oliveira's uh, incredible problems dealing with pressure. Like he just Oliveira really quickly looked like he hated everything about that fight. Yeah, absolutely. It may have made him insanely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout: Danny Roberts, Johnny Parsons, and this is a fight that shouldn't be hard to call, but it is. Mm. Danny Roberts is. Um, it kind of feels like he should be like an MMA Masters guy, frankly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because he, he's one of those fighters who his entire game is made up of answers. Yeah. Where, you know, oh, you're going to pressure me. I've got some really sharp counters. You're going to wrestle me. I've got some really sharp, uh, you know, counter grappling, scrambling. Right. You're going to grapple with me. I've got some, once again, the scrambling. I, I, he can wrestle. He can strike. He can grapple, but he almost always does all of these things in reaction to what his right. opponent is doing to him. You're saying he is he is permanently prone to fighting his opponent's fight. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when his opponent can surprise him at all with the fight they bring to him, they can beat him really badly. Yeah. You know, it's the kind of game where you're taking react you're, you're trying to be this reactive force you're you're taking a lot of guesses on what's going to happen mm-hmm. and anybody from Michelle Pereira and Claudio Silva to Mike Perry and Nordine Taleb are capable of just being like yeah well here's a you know here's a really sharp hard shot you didn't see coming what are you going to do with that mhm Sometimes or, they also, it has to be said, get an insanely hard fight with him because yeah. that was like the Claudio Silva experience. Yeah, he lost, but yeah, boy, was he in there the entire time just fighting his ass off. Yeah, and you, same thing with like Francisco Trinaldo or, uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh, you know, he got that win over Ramazan, Ramazan Amiv. Yeah, he does not go quietly, Danny yeah. Roberts, but yeah, he is going to have the fight that you push on him. Yeah, but he, and he can go quickly. If you yes, he can. If you push the if you if you land the right shot, he doesn't see, then he will not be set for it at all. Right. He's not. He's not uh, immune, and he's also not like vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have any uh, prophylactic measures to stop him getting into a fight where he is. He is a normal human level of susceptible to being finished. Yeah, yeah. Now on the other side, you got Johnny Parsons, who is slow, slow-footed, uh, not even fast-handed. Honestly, a lot of times when I see a fighter that's like slow-footed, it's like, oh yeah, but they've actually got some pretty good hand speed. Yeah. Um, and just appears to be kind of. A monolith. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. there's obviously just a lot of brute strength and trust in durability that, you know, Parsons feels like if I walk you, if I walk into you, you will get hurt worse than I will. 
Yeah, and he's also just constantly surrounded by a crowd of awestruck apes. Yes, yes, that as well. (laughs) Sort of very very nervously touching him. (gasps) Maybe Danny Roberts will reach out and touch Johnny Parsons (laughs) and immediately be blessed with the next stage of his evolution. Receive enlightenment and then just just become champion within a year. That would be awesome. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like Parsons is just—he's a slugger. That's he a, is a, the slugger. Not is a aptly titled nickname. Absolutely. Oh, that's a great nickname. I didn't know that yeah. was his nickname. He is like yeah. a throwback slugger. He feels like he's like Cabbage Correa. Yeah, Cabbage Correa. Like real, just uh, who's the white Mike Tyson? I always forget that guy's name, but oh, I cannot forget his yeah. nickname. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot forget his dreadful nickname. But yeah, he is just like a. He's like, he's not big. Uh, He's like short and stocky. And he's not particularly fast. But yeah, he's just real confident slinging very heavy punches in in mid range. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? You don't don't have to find the white mic. Unfortunately, the problem is. Searching white Mike Tyson, all I get is uh, a whole bunch of stuff about how much Dana White likes Mike Tyson. Search it. Uh, oh, God. So I was going to say search it on Bing and you'll get the worst AI generated image you've ever seen. <laughs> Show me a white Mike Tyson. He's Welsh, I think. Uh, yeah. You, you know I, who I, I'm talking I, about. It, yeah. Uh, I just finally found it. He lost to Kamzat. Jack, uh, not Jack Marshman. No, no. All right, you move on and talk about this okay. fight. And I'll find it. Yeah, because I, I found some website that's Wales Online, and they just and they started talking. Oh, John Phillips. John yeah. Phillips. That's right. John Phillips. Yeah, it's a very John Phillips like thing where you're just like you're you're not fast, but you're just tough and you're just kind of brutal. And so. Danny Roberts is way faster than Johnny yeah. Parsons. Yeah, even as an, a rapidly old aging man, what is he now? Yep. thirty six. But boy, has he been through a, a, the num- the amount of violence of a one hundred year old. Yeah, he is much faster. He is much more well rounded. He might just get knocked out. Yeah, it, Mike um, Perry did it. I mean, how much different is? Uh, Parsons from Mike Perry, honestly. He's a little slower. That's the only, that's the concern. Yeah. I think I'm going to pick Danny Roberts because I do think that the lack of speed is just a big problem. But, well, God. I'm kind of tempted to pick Parsons here. I got to be honest. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to pick Parsons. Roberts has lost so many times, and Parsons is going to be willing to stand right in there and throw, and he will crash, too. That's the thing, really. Because he doesn't have to be fast. He's so willing. He just chucks his entire body into the pocket with a couple punches with it, and the punches hit really hard, and he's right there to be hit back. But Of course. Danny Roberts is somebody that if you're throwing at him with that kind of heat, he can get knocked out. So, yeah, and, and I will say, too, that uh, Johnny Parsons doesn't have super quick hands, but he is actually a thoughtful puncher. Yeah. No. In he, how he, he puts his combinations together. This man has a full complement of weapons. 
especially when he can get somebody cornered. Yeah. Uh, which does happen to Danny Roberts because he's got a lot of footwork, but not the best footwork. Yep. Um, then you're going to see uppercut hook combos. You're going to see punches that lead to a sidestep and then barreling back in with three straight shots in a row. Like he, he actually it can be pretty tricky to deal with once you give him the initiative and let him start teeing off. Yeah. The fact he's that gonna, he uh, once got knocked out by a guy named David Gladden, uh, uh-huh. really, yeah. Like there's a great chance that Parsons just walks into a, a counter hook from Roberts Absolutely. that is twice as fast as anything he's throwing and gets slept. But yeah, I you know, I have seen this story too many times with Roberts. Sometimes he wins it, sometimes it's Zalima Madaev. Sometimes it's uh Nordine Taleb. Yeah. You know, it's not like Nordine Taleb was the world's fastest most tricky out athlete out there either i mean he just straight up one shot at danny roberts yep just kicked him in the dome and that was it yeah i mean it, it, it's a very 50 50 fight in that both guys are at risk and neither guy is insulated against that in really any way yeah it's more just a feeling pick yep. i just feel like danny roberts has got a lot of tread taken off the tires um, and he doesn't fight a fight that will stop Johnny Parsons from fighting his fight. Absolutely not. So, so at best, it's 50-50. And yeah. I just have a feeling that Parsons is going to nail him with some really big shots very early in the fight. Yeah. All right. Uh, Roberts opened at minus 105, currently at minus 114. Parsons opened at minus 105 is currently at plus 103. So they are dead even. Sure. I think that feels right, honestly. Yep. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Mark Diakese, Joel Alvarez, and uh, this feels like it should be a good fight because both men have games that can be very interesting and fun. And I have the sneaking suspicion that this is going to be the most predictable fight possible. Hmm. And in what form? What, what, what prediction do you make then? Mark Diakese is going to get guillotined in round one. Ooh, that could happen. That could happen. I don't really know what to expect out of Mark Diakese, which is why I... I, I, I feel it's less predictable because Mark Casey's out there trying things still. Yeah. Right. This is not a guy who has ever developed enough depth in any one kind of direction. Yeah. To have like a reliable process. He is still out there fighting like a prospect who will just sort of try on a look for it a is, fight. It, it is probably a, uh, Unfortunately, if he is still fighting under GB top team, let me see. I'll check his Insta. That's always a good. Uh, it, it is probably not a great highlight of that camp. And it's a Brad Pickett's camp gym, mm. which you'd like, you know, Pickett was a really fun fighter. You'd like him to be a really great coach. But it is probably not a great sign of uh, of Diakese's coaching that they have managed to do that little 
with his physicality and skill. Yeah, I mean, it is long. possible that Jacquezi is not easy to coach. Yeah, he does actually. His Instagram says that he's the head coach at HD Performance Center. So it could also just be that he runs a lot of his own camp. Yeah. Which would make a lot of sense. That's what it feels like. Because, yeah, like, uh, he does not, like, he's never figured out what it is that, what kind of fight he needs to be having. He's never figured out what it is that he needs to be. Well, yeah, he has immense, immense physical strength, which has likely prevented him from developing the wrestling and grappling game he should have. Mm -hmm. Because he can just haul people off their feet until they're good enough defensively that he can't. And then everywhere else, he develops sort of a, a thin veneer of technique. Yeah. Uh, he'll have fights where it's like, I'm low kick man now, you know, like this is, oh, this is fighting smart. You don't just try to deck people with the most massive right hand of all time. You, you break them down Yeah. and the opponent is either like aimless and bad enough that that kind of works and still often doesn't lead to a win. Um, and these are still fights where Mark Jacquezi's toughness is seriously tested because when somebody tries to penetrate that like barrier of uh, kicking distance, there's not a whole lot else there uh, that isn't the purely physical wrestling game. Or, as in his last fight against Michael Johnson, he's like, I'm slick guy now. And he just loses the fight while thinking he's winning the entire time. Yeah. Well, he's that like, was... he's, he was having fun. <laughs> yeah. Too much, you could argue. <laughs> Uh, that was what? What were you going to say? I was going to say, that was also a case where, like, I think he just didn't realize that Michael Johnson's problem is not his first layer of takedown defense. So That's true, yeah. He and would try to get in on a, on a shot on Johnson, and Johnson would shut down the initial shot. Yeah. And he would just be like, oh, I guess I can't wrestle this guy. And it's like, uh-huh. you have to... You have to bring a chain to Mike jo- Michael Johnson until he breaks... Right. And once he breaks, everything falls apart. But if you're just gonna like, oh, what if I lean in and grab a single leg? Yeah, Michael, Michael Johnson, Johnson knows how to sprawl, buddy. Yeah, you know? yeah, he can he can stuff the shot. So it really is. And looking more at his Instagram, it seems like he just travels around all the time and trains at a bunch of different places and gets a bunch of different coaching, and then maybe has his home gym that he runs. And yeah, that that, that tracks for me. It, that tracks for me too. It tracks for why he just has a game. Like he has a slightly stronger version of the game he had six years ago. Yeah. Very slightly. I mean, kind of. I mean, he, that's the thing. He, he does make different decisions in how he wants yeah. to approach the fight, it's, but it's, it's so aimless. Again, he's, he's yeah. what? He's like 35 or something now. And he is still fighting like a talented prospect. He's only 30, in fact. Okay, all right, okay. But so maybe, who knows? Maybe he will still turn a corner. He's been fighting for a decade. So. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he's got the athleticism. He's got another probably five years to just have something click and make a change. Yeah. But I think it would need he would need to find a really singular, dedicated coach that could instill in him the idea, this is how you need to fight 
all the time. Yeah. For once, I don't think he could be Henry Hooft. Uh, honestly, I think <laughs> it would have to be somebody more like a Rafael Cordero or even just ATT where you're just going to get a lot of like, okay. Sarah, Sarah Longo, as you said before. Uh, yeah. About, yeah. We, uh, on the, on the, the sub stack bonus, you talked about Nazim Sadikov and uh, yeah, you know that Sadikov's game is just going to get, he, he's going to get a lot of instruction keyed into perfecting the game he already has. Yeah. They make That's fighters uh, characteristically better. Like, yeah. uh, like Greg Jackson used to be so good at doing like, yeah, here's the stuff you're good at. Let's like lean into that and work around that. And, and at no point force you to take a step back by like removing yourself from your comfort comfort zone. Yeah. And um, that's what he needs. It, he couldn't, like I say, it, for once it couldn't be hoofed because hoofed would be like, okay, let's, let's strip away everything you don't do. Right. Yeah. Although again, like he did that himself. He, like I said, he yeah. is trying on looks yeah. already. So yeah. I don't know. The, the the point being that Mark Jacquesi has never really actually developed. He has tried things on, yeah. but nothing has really stuck to the point where it, it has continued to gain depth. Everything yeah. is just like a, a new outfit. Yep. And um, the trouble is, is that he might just be able to, if he leans on it, he might be able to horse all off off his feet. Oh, he absolutely will. Right. And you're worried but, that he's going to get guillotined doing that. Or triangled. He's a, he's like a super strong, super fast Holly Holm in that his wrestling is just <laughs> yeah. And, and Joel Alvarez, really hard into you. His game, you know, it it has a there's a busted aspect to Alvarez's game that absolutely he spent years not not having to pay for because most of his opponents don't want to test it. Well, he's huge. I mean, he he's, is a classic. He's a bully. giant, and yeah. he is a giant. With a razor sharp guard game. Yeah. Razor sharp. So, what he does is he puts out really long strikes as a giant man. Yeah. And forces people to realize that they are insanely uncomfortable with him out at distance. Here are really hard body kicks. Here are really hard front kicks. Here's a really hard long jab. Here's a one two. It all sucks. And if you just let him have that fight, you're going to start getting you're, you're going to get knocked out. You're just going to get dialed up by it. Yep. You have to close him down. And the two fighters that have succeeded in beating Joel Alvarez. Well, three, if you go all the way back mm -hmm. to Ali Ab Abdul Halakov, who wheel kicked in or he, yeah, who, who like wheel kicked him in 34 seconds. But the other two guys are. Demir is Magulov who could step inside and just out jab him mm -hmm. and just say, oh, you're just going to offer me like three tools from range. What if I just what if I can just constantly take those tools from you? Mm -hmm. And Armand Sarikin who said, oh, you, you want to pretend that your ground game, your guard game is so good you can give me top control. Yeah. I am going to fuck up your life. Yeah, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. Sort of the feeling of that matchup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even Tiago Moises, a very good grappler, was just like, no, didn't this have sucks. A, didn't have a game that allowed him to get there even. I mean, he yeah. just got stuck on the end of the reach and then was so passive because he was uncomfortable that Alvarez actually stepped into close distance and crushed him with elbows and body shots and everything. Yeah. Um, so I look at... 
at Mark Diakese's uh, mile wide inch deep game. And I look at his losses to Dan Hooker and yeah. to Rafael Alves. And I see a guy who is going to eat some shots early, shoot in for a takedown, and just get wrapped up. Yeah, that can happen. That, that is, I, I, it, I just feel like, I, and I realize that's like a very specific call to make. Yeah. But it just is right there. It is a dude who does that to a guy who has had that done to him. You know, it, it, it is the Clay Guida uh, against Charles Oliveira kind of matchup to me. Mm-hmm. Where you just like, Clay Guida's, of course, Clay Guida's going to get submitted. Like, in what universe is Clay Guida going to avoid getting submitted in this fight? Yeah. Because whatever happens, Jacquesi is going to go for a takedown, and it's going to be a sloppy takedown to which he nonetheless fully commits himself. Yeah, okay. I'm going with your extremely specific read. I, I will agree. And if it does. Alvarez. If it doesn't happen, whole Alvarez, you know, his game isn't so deep that he couldn't just get like if if DKS can like pass to side control and just start beating him sure. up, he might get sure. really tired, fall apart. Um, DKS has done that to plenty of people. Just yeah. seeming seems to get tired himself and then just keeps going. He he has yeah. really great stamina actually, given how inefficient his techniques are. Yeah, he's really difficult to actually uh, effectively tire out, but. And and maybe too, because he can just land one big like you know wheel kick or overhand that knocks Alvarez out. But I even if this fight just stays standing, and I would favor Alvarez if it stays I would favor, standing. Favor Alvarez, yeah. I think you actually need like a process to deal with such a vast reach difference. Yeah, you, you can't just kind of figure it out. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just got to pick whole Alvarez. Yeah. And, uh, odds on the fight. Alvarez is the favorite. Opened at minus 135. It's currently at minus 195. DKC opened at plus 122. It's currently plus 173. So betters are generally just picking against him. That brings us to a heavyweight bout. Mick Parkin against Jamal Pogues. Why have I heard the name Mick Parkin nine times this week? I don't know, but the moment I read it, I just immediately had to go to Twitter and be like, what the fuck is a Mick Parkin? Yeah. It sounds like McLovin, but... That's uh, that's actually was the... Early in the invention of automobiles, but when, like, <laughs> Americans still hated the Irish... That was a special section of the parking garage <laughs> where they had to go. All right. All right. Let's... <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't mention the water fountains. No, like just make drinking. Just, no. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the bargain basement end of the heavyweight division mm. here. Um, don't know how Jamal Pogues ended up with the nickname, the Stormtrooper, but that Ooh. 
It's not just a Star Wars reference, folks. You should maybe look that one up before you pick that as your yeah, nickname. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it does have a lot. It does say a lot to his general accuracy and uh, predictability. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> man, does this dude just sort of walk forward, throwing a couple of wild shots, and then clinch up with somebody over and over and over again? Yeah. Like it's really kind of feels rare to see a a heavyweight whose knockout power ability is taken away from them before they get to a reasonable UFC level. Mm. Where like at contender series and LFA status. Yeah, like they clearly so, hit hard enough where they just stop being able to hit people. Yeah, Jamal Pogues has become a decision machine at that level because He's so low output yeah, and predictable that it is just not surprising anybody, you know? Getting a grinding win over uh, Josh Parisian is, it ain't, you know, it ain't much. Uh, and Mick Parkin hasn't hit that level yet. He, we have not yet seen him hit that wall. At the very least, I don't know that he has the physicality to be a competitive heavyweight at a high level. But he still has uh, shown to the point of contender series, at least, you know, is, is otherwise. He's fighting at a very much lower level outside the UFC than Pogues was. Mm-hmm. But at least up through the, the his contender series bout, there's a lot of maintained aggression mm-hmm. to what uh, Parkin is doing. He's a fighter that is swarming people, hooking up with them, trying to drag them to the mat and continue a aggressive attack. You know, there's, there's a bit of the feeling of like we are talking about with, uh, Oh, with uh, Tom Aspinall in the main event, Parkin is a heavyweight who still seems like he fights like a smaller man. Who, you know, somebody who who was used to being scrappy. And that's enough for me to pick him here. Yeah. It's just like the idea that he could drag Pogues into a into an ugly fight and still want to be aggressive and do things at a point where Pogues seems like whenever he gets clinched up or you know, he gets into a tough fight with somebody, he just wants to stop it. He just wants to hold them in place and stop them from fighting. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if Parkin is chaining aggression through that kind of tie up, he's more likely to end up in positions where he starts winning. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I have literally nothing to add bargain. How much do I have to say about a bargain basement heavyweight fight? Yeah. Most likely thing that happens in this fight is that they, sc- they tie up in the clinch maybe do some scrambling or some brawling for a round. Neither guy gets knocked out. Parkin stops knowing what to do because he's used to (laughs) just going away on him after a round. And Pogues doesn't know what to do because he doesn't know what to do with fighters at a higher level than awful. Yeah. And they just have the ugliest three-round fight. 
and that's what we'll get. That is at best a 50-50 proposition at this level of heavyweight. Yep. So, yep, perfectly likely. Uh, Pogues, but I'm still packing the scrappy confident, picking the uh, scrappy confident guy. Yeah. Pogues open at minus 203. He's currently at minus 156. There's no reason that he should be. And there's no reason anybody should be a favorite in this fight. <laughs> Parkin open at plus 180. He's currently at plus 139. Just bring it into dead even. And that is where, that is where it'll be most functional. Uh, that brings us to a middleweight bout of all. Yeah. Ryan Barbarena, Mahmoud Muradov. Ryan Barbarena at middleweight. Yeah. And um, credit to Barbarena, I guess. He got through that point in the Darien. They really hit at the Darien Weeks fight. Mm hmm. Where he had a bunch of health problems, and it, but it also just seemed like he was fast approaching warm body mode. Yeah. Like, he was not durable. He did not seem like he was enjoying being in fights. Yeah. He, he did not. He seemed like he was technically regressing, and it just looked bad. And, and they fed him some old guys. And they fed him some old guys. Got his confidence back. He's not a markedly better fighter. I still think he's he's technically regressed from yes. that Vicente Luque Randy Brown fights. Yeah. Where he was really clicking with his boxing game. Yeah, around the time I like the fights with um Joe Proctor and Leon Edwards and Barbarina was a pretty like crafty. Yeah. The the the, the the Vicente Luque Randy Brown bookings really ruined him because those were the fights yes. where you could see him going out there and he was at technical peak form. Yeah. He was slick. He was punching in combination. He was trying to slip and move and all that. He just met two way better athletes who are much better finishers than him. And no and amount of good work he did could yeah. bring him into winning those fights. Yeah, and they were both horrifically brutal wars. Yep. Um, yeah. And the Anthony Ivey fight sucked. The Jason Witt fight sucked. Dire. I mean, it, it didn't suck in, in terms of action. It was like, yeah. oh, this man is done. Yeah, and the Darian Weeks fight sucked. Those were all just bad fights. Yep. And he's clawed his way back. I think he got some confidence back, but I think yeah. he's still at that level of physical regression, as you yeah, said. Yeah, I think so. And we saw that when he fought two less washed fighters yep. at welterweight, and now he's taking on a middleweight. And I suppose in Brian Barbarina's favor, it is one of the most incredibly passive guys in the entire division. Well, all, well even more than just just one note, Muradov, yeah. there's a one-two and if that doesn't work, he, there's a lot. Of, it's a lot of what we were talking about with, uh, oh, Ferris Ziam mm -hmm. for Muradov, where it's like, for a guy who's got like a ton of hand speed and really bases his offense around his kickboxing, why is it that you so often end up feeling like you you end up wanting to wrestle people? <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, he just doesn't like extended exchanges. Yeah, at all. He, he wants to neutralize every opponent he faces. He wants yeah. to hit them with one-twos and have a nice slow pace. Yep. And otherwise just sort of get free reign to kind of move away and defend everything else they try to do. 
Yep. And um, it, there is a lot of options for any opponent, a wide variety of styles and, and physical abilities that can just not agree to have that fight. Like it, yeah. Muradov thinks he's neutralizing people, but he isn't. This is why I say passive. Yeah. He, he is not the, the jab he has is not a, uh, anything close to like an impassable barrier where it's like, Oh, you want to get in on me? You're going to have to deal with this. And when I touch you with it, I'm going to reset my feet just slightly enough that you maybe have to do a little extra work to try to get in again. And then the jab is waiting for you. He is not actually controlling people and no. enforcing the pace that he wants. And so this is why I, I say he's a passive fighter because yeah. people just get to run in and do stuff. Yep. Basically. And, and force him into his B game really very easily. Um, and I just don't know. Cause like maybe he can out wrestle Brian Barbarina. <laughs> yeah. He's bigger. Brian's slow. I doubt that even at middleweight, Brian's going to look particularly fast. He's, yeah. he's very slow. Um, but what else is he going to do to beat Barbarina is unclear. Uh, I just don't know what to make of it. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I also really think that, like, there's a really hard line between 170 and 185. Oh, yeah. And I mean, famously, it is like it's the first big gap you encounter between weight classes until you get to. Uh, uh, well, I guess it's the it's the first of the big gaps that you get yeah. between all the bigger divisions. And I, while I while I think it's worse to while it's much worse to cross it going down than it is going up, I generally just think it's a bad idea to cross it in general. Yeah, you know. I mean, um, I don't know, man. I just Muradov is just not a very impressive fighter. He's not a round winner. No, really, like he just leaves it on the table for his opponent to just try things as often as they sure. really want to. Uh, but can I, I? I just. Yeah. Right. Can I? Can I pick Brian Barbarena in a middleweight debut as like an old slow man? I I don't know, man. Very weird booking. I'm just gonna pick Muradov. Really, that's that's all I'm. I've got. Pick the guy who belongs in this division. Pick the guy who belongs in the division who's got the obvious athletic advantage uh, against the guy who has not in the not too distant past looked totally washed and otherwise lately looks like he's got his confidence to brawl back, but is still. Yeah. Missing Anyone with any physical edge is just crushing him. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that Muradov is not a crusher, man. No, he really isn't. <laughs> he just isn't. But uh, at the same time, even against Kyle Bahio, who has a bunch of his own problems. Murdoff still actually ended up doing a lot, of, spending a lot of time on top and like not getting easily out, out, uh, physical or not getting easily, not getting easily beat despite not also doing a lot to easily win. Yeah. Not doing anything. I mean, yeah, most of the times he got on top was like a weird scramble where Bahalia was just like, wait, I, thought you were a good grappler why did you give up that sweep yeah um i i, I don't know very strange fight yeah very but yeah i'll, I'll take i'll take murdov because i i know he's a middleweight i guess that's it yeah 
Muradov is a big favorite here, far bigger than he deserves for a guy that got knocked out by Gerald Mearshart. Um, opened at minus 265, it's currently at minus 299. God, I forgot about that. Yeah, because like, <laughs> I forgot about the Ryan Barbarina can, can have that Mearshart sure. fight, sure. you know. His boxing has been that good before. Yeah. And he's more durable. Yeah. Uh, Barbarina opened at plus 228 and is currently at plus 253. So this line should absolutely not be that wide at all. All right. Well, that's... That is, yeah. uh, that is happening on the prelims. All right. That brings us to a women's bantamweight bout. Ketlin Vieira, Panny Kianzad, and um, this is really the lesson of like why we are so happy about Myra Buena Silva, right? Uh huh. Because both of these women are in range to be a top contender, and both of them have for years now confounded the expectation that they would someday put together a game that could contend. Yeah. Ketlin Vieira has has power. She has a aggressive grappling game. She has the physicality to make things happen. She's had some good counters at different points in her career. Mm-hmm. And she just zombie swings her way forward whenever she decides to attack Mm -hmm. and can be totally totally drained of confidence by somebody that can handle her physically true yes you know she is very dependent on that advantage like ending up getting was out wrestled by Yana sent, well, no, I guess it wasn't out wrestled, but ending up just like getting stuck and controlled by Yana Santos. Yeah. For which is just very lumbering. She doesn't have like a way of closing the distance with any kind of subtlety. She doesn't have a a feeler or like a little wedge in the form of a jab or feints to get in. Everything is same speed, big. Just clumsy swings, really. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, she's just pretty easy to stick at range if you have even the most like basic range fighting toolkit. And the confidence drains out of her when it stops working. Yeah, well, she doesn't know what else to do. I mean, it's no yeah. surprise. She doesn't have the skills. And on the, 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 the flip side, Paniki and Zod has a uh, really solid, at times, fundamentals boxing game. Mm-hmm. And just never really seems to know how to use it. Yeah. At all. She also, I think she is a chronically unconfident fighter. Yeah. No. It's strange because she, she, skill for skill, really looks like she should be one of the best in this division. Yeah. She, when she, when, when her opponent is not confident about fighting her. Yeah. Like then Jessica Pants Rose Clark. Zod looks great. Yeah. Like Jessica Rose Clark is a great she, example. Yeah. She's in there styling and and then when it's like Julia Avila, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> it's going very badly for her. Even like old Alexis Davis uh, isn't isn't making her look particularly impressive. Even Lena Landsberg, honestly, yeah. like 
Yep. Landsberg's willingness to just go after Kianzada and tie her up meant that Kianzada right. had to spend that whole fight clinching with her and just like trying to outbattle her in the clinch because Kianzada was not willing to set and dictate her own range. Yep. Her opponent has to dictate range for her. And man, that makes this an awkward fight. Mm-hmm. Because Kellen Vieira might, she will probably start out dictating the range against Kianzad and bullying her. She will start out just wading in, wild hooking, you know, trying to make this fight ugly and aggressive and bring a tough fight to Kianzad that Kianzad will hate and get overwhelmed by. But if Kian Zod can fight her off at any point and start like, oh, I'm landing the better shots because I'm more technical than you, and she is, mm-hmm. then all that confidence and aggression can just drain out of Viera in an instant. And if Viera starts fighting on the back foot, then Kian Zod and, and not dictating range, then Kian Zod can just be more technical than her. Mm-hmm. God, I have no idea who to pick in that fight. <laughs> it's, it is two fighters who don't seem to know how to like ensure that they are winning. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I am almost certain that each of them is going to have a round that they entirely own. Uh, for Kian, for Vieira, it'll probably be the first. Yeah. And for Kian Zod, it might be the second. It might be the third. And then they will probably have a, a round where they just either are clinched against the fence, switching position constantly, or where they are just staring at each other. And that round will decide the fight. Mm-hmm. I will go with Ketlin Vieira just because I think that the phys- the baseline physicality is yeah. higher. I think that's the smart pick. I'm going to pick Kianzad for fun, but yeah. um, uh, am I? You know, I can see her winning it, but this is one of those where there's so little like uh, direction or process on either side that you should probably just favor the one who can accidentally win. Yeah, or just you know, it, I'm not going to bet on this, but just bet on it to go the distance. Don't bet on fights, but this is a yeah, you know, Kianzad has not won anything other than a decision since Megan Van Hooten in 2014. Yeah. She's not lost by anything other than decision since losing to Macy Chasen in 2018. Yeah. And uh, Ketlin Vieira, you know. She got KO'd by Irene Aldana. And since then has only fought two decisions, win or loss, win or lose. And her last time she finished anyone was by the infinitely melt was the infinitely meltdown prone Sarah McMahon, and she's otherwise you know her 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 last TKO was in 2015. Mm-hmm. So this just seems like a fight that's just going to a split decision. Yeah, no, that I agree with. Um, again, I, I, I take Ketlin Vieira because they get into some kind of tie up or whatever. They get into any kind of exchange, like the power, the strength will show. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I have had so many recent picks where I just um, refuse to believe that just sheer physicality is enough of an advantage on its own to win, and it, it often is. It yep. very often is. And uh, But I like Kianzad more. Yep. So once again, I am like spitting I spitting in the face of truth. I expect just, both women to have one round where you're just like, oh, wow, you, you're going to dominate this fight. And then have the whole rest of the fight be like, why? Yeah. Why are you having this fight with this person? Yep. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Chris Duncan, Yanal Ashmuz. And uh, we have it's it's the 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 Lummox versus the Imp, mm. right? I mean, what the weird thing is, that they're basically apparently about the same height. Yeah, Duncan, Yeah, he he fights like a welter. He fights like a middleweight who somehow <laughs> cut weight to lightweight mm-hmm. and decided to fight there instead. And Yanal Ashmuz fights like a bantamweight who has decided to fight it lightweight because it's fun. Yeah. Duncan is the even whiter Mike Tyson. <laughs> the whitest Mike Tyson. <laughs> um, negative Mike Tyson. <laughs> and yeah, you know who Yanal Ashmuz looks like to me? He mm. looks like a Chad Michael Stuhlbarg. That is a reference I don't get at all. Michael Stuhlbarg, he's the lead the lead in A Serious Man. Oh, yeah, I haven't watched that movie. What? That's a great movie. You, my we have favorite, had this exact same my conversation. Favorite with, Coen Brothers movie. It, we've had this exact same conversation with this exact same reaction. Yeah. Well, you five times. It. You'll like it. It's a great I, movie. This is part of the conversation we've had the exact same five times well, now. Well, we'll stop having it when you watch it. Okay. You know, but, simple. Okay, I, I see Michael Stuhlbarg, and right. I yes, you're right. I see it like a like a real manly Michael Stuhlbarg. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, there's, I, I was certainly impressed. I believe I picked uh, what's his name, James Patterson. You picked Patterson, yeah, uh, and I, was I, hilariously I, wrong because Ashmo's yeah. just. Um, man, he is fast and explosive when he decides to go. Yeah, he is a, a serious athletic prospect who has sold himself on a blitzing punching game that throws him into into situations that do not necessarily make the best use of his athleticism. Yeah, but man, he in that transition where he is in the pocket, yes. swinging, dude is he is lightning in a bottle. Because it wasn't just the the counter right hand to the stupid naked kick that Patterson threw. Yeah. It was the releasing the kick he had caught while throwing that right hand and instantly landing a blazing fast left hook that actually finished Patterson. Right. He, he it knocked him like, so senseless that Patterson had like a two-minute phase where he was just like slowly trying to fight the referee. Yeah. it. He fights, you know, like I say, he, he fights like John Dodson. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a very good comparison. Um, and then Chris Duncan, I don't know, man. That that fight with Omar Morales was incredibly frustrating on both sides. Yeah. Because Omar Morales was just not making any good decisions at all. No, something happened to that dude. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Is, but so, something just fell off of him. It was the moment somebody 
outkicked his ass. Yeah. Which Giga Chikadze did. The, all the wheels fell off of Morales' game. It, I think it broke his confidence and... Yeah. Yeah. Now he, he still reads as a very confident guy, but it is clearly a veneer. Yeah. He's out there showboating and smiling and pretending to have a good time, and he clearly isn't. And despite that, Chris Duncan barely edged him. Barely. Right? Like, Omar Morales was making every wrong decision. He wasn't jabbing. He wasn't setting anything up, overthrowing every single punch he threw. And he was still nailing Chris Duncan. He was still fighting off uh, Chris Duncan's takedowns and escaping his ground control. Duncan is just a really ponderous fighter. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of feeling Ash Mose. Yeah, I, I got to take Ash Mose. D- Duncan is just real hittable and slow to react to anything. And Ash Mose is blazing fast and very powerful. Yeah. And it's weird, like I said, they're only apparent, supposedly they're an inch apart in height, but it is, it does feel like a middleweight fighting a bantamweight. Yeah. You know, it's like two, two guys with styles that are two divisions apart on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, Ashmos looks like he has John Dodson's build. Something about yeah. him just reads very short man. Yep. Uh, it wasn't just because I just watched the Patterson fight. It's his no. builds, his proportions. Yeah, no, I, I got to trust that Duncan is going to give Ashmoos the chance to just hit him really hard in the pocket. And Duncan might hit him back. Yeah, yeah. Might knock him out. He's got power, clearly. But he, if he, if even if he ties up with Ashmoos, I just think Ashmoos is going to be able to outscramble him. So I got to yeah. pick Ashmoos. Mm-hmm. Uh, odds on that bout, Duncan is the favorite. Not sure why. Opened at minus 105. It's currently minus 146. Maybe it's a hometown betting push. Sure. That makes as much sense as anything else. And Ashmoos opened at minus 105, and it's currently plus 131. That brings us to a uh, women's strawweight bout. Bruna Brazil, Shauna Bannon, and... um, I, I mean, I have no faith <laughs> in Shauna Bannon's game at all. Yeah, she is apparently a Taekwondo specialist training under always Patty. the best, always the best base for MMA. Yeah, training That's under a- Patty Houlihan. <laughs> yep, and. She has some really good kicks. And she will throw punches with some good, solid aggression. But she kicks out of one stance and she punches out of another stance. Uh huh. Like she has to be right leg forward to kick and she has to be left leg forward to punch. Yeah. And... I there do, there's no way for her to have that style and have reactions to defensive reactions to anything at all because she just she's constantly at sea switching between two stances where she's not entirely comfortable there's no point where it looks like she's on balance 
and can absorb anything coming back at her. Uh, that said, uh, Bruno Brazil is just... Uh, she just has the thinnest veneer of a tall person's game of, like, here are some some sharp tools that I present from range and any amount of pushback is also just scares me to death. I don't think Shauna Bannon is at all worried about anything coming back at her. She's just not, you know, well situated for it. Bruno Brazil is much more on the like, Oh my God, no, 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 no. Please don't, please don't walk in on me right now. I am not ready. So I, I just got to pick Shauna Bannon here, really. I don't think Bruno Brazil is set up to fight at a high level. I don't think Bannon is necessarily either, but I think she's got the mentality for it. Sure, yeah. We, we've officially gotten to the portion of the card where the fights are just sort of, ah, here's here's two pretty bad fighters. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I suppose I'll agree. J- purely on Shauna Bannon's confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to be saying no, 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 no in my head when I'm watching a fighter. Yeah. And Bruno Brazil just looks like, yeah, I don't even know if it is a veneer. I think she's capable of building confidence if the opponent respects her frame. Yeah. But she sort of tracks as somebody who does not want you to come in immediately. Yeah. uh, And is just very susceptible to any kind of pressure. I don't know how effective Bannon is at pressuring either, but. She, but she likes to do it, and sure, she, sure. She, she she she'll try, and I think that'll be enough. Like sure, like I say, she kicks hard. It'll just be one of those things where it's just like I'm watching her, and she's like, she gets in her punching stance. Every you should, she'll throw a kick, get in her punching stance, decide actually punching isn't what I should do right now. Switch to the kicking stance, throw a kick step back into her punching stance, decide punching isn't what I want to do right now, switch. It's just like, what is this? Yeah. What What are you tracking to do? Because it just is weird. But hey, she's got the confidence. That's much she's more got important the confidence. Yeah. for a young and inexperienced fighter than anything else. She likes doing it. Yep. She's down to scrap. That should be enough. Yep. Uh, odds on the bout... Bannon is the underdog, opened at plus 111, is currently at plus 132. Bruno Brazil opened at minus 122, is currently at minus 147. There's no reason anybody should be picking anything between these two. Mm -hmm. Even over and under, I wouldn't like. Yeah. This could end at any time for any reason. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Hafel, uh, Jafel Filho. Filio. Filio. Jafel Filio. The worst way to pronounce that that name. And <laughs> Daniel Juarez. Why is that the worst? I think that's, it's like the J. You, you, I, the H, in at least in Brazilian Portuguese, and I think in Portuguese Portuguese yeah. as well, the H after consonant is like a is like a tilde yeah munoz with an h feel you it's just it what does it mean sun probably i don't know whatever right or like I, isn't I, that i'm too disgusted to, to 
Where do you get a load of this name? One of I watched one of his fights and I I had not encountered this name before. Classic Brazilian name. Uh, oh god, I'm struggling to find it. It's Wugner Silva. <laughs> not Wagner. Not it's, Wagner. It's a classic Brazilian thing where it's sort of a German name, but it's yeah. all fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Wugner Silva. Where you're like, Awful. they named you after some famous president, musician, or like other person from another country. But they had to get quirky with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this is another one, man. Um, Filio is... These are two very aimless fighters, honestly. Um, particularly, I think... Um, I think Bades is really, really propped up by the fact that he's been fighting a bunch of Euro trash. Yeah. Filio has been propped up by the idea that he was the one guy that wrestles on a circuit that had no wrestling. Sure, yeah. Um, which might be effective. Yeah, it, it might be enough here. Bades has been taken down by some pretty poor wrestlers and um, and is way, way, way too content to play guard when that happens. Mm-hmm. And basically, anytime I have seen Bades get on top of somebody, it's because they shot on him and didn't immediately get him off his feet and they pulled guard. Like, yeah. he is really fighting some very clueless opponents. And, uh, and otherwise, yeah, I just, I look at his fights and I see somebody who is sort of there waiting for the opponent to screw up and lose. The big thing that that I will say in Barres's favor here to me is that he wit, he actually does he can punch at a flyweight pace when he wants. Yeah. Like he has some fast hands and he can throw combinations to the head and body that are they're pretty and the you know they they will work they would work at a flyweight level at a high flyweight level if he could maintain it. Yeah. And if he could uh, fight a whole comprehensive fight behind that kind of aggression. Yeah. Filio, I don't know, has that at all. Like no. I said, the big thing insulating him is that he was the takedown guy in uh, a Brazilian regional circuit that didn't have takedown guys. Yeah, and he's not even like a rock solid positional grappler. Yeah, but but also Bada is like he 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 might have the flyweight pace on the feet at times. He does not have a flyweight grappling game. No, you know he he will yeah. he will sit in a good position if it's given to him. But like I said, I, I've seen him taken down against pretty bad fighters and just play a really innocuous closed guard for like an entire round. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm gonna take Filio because I think he's probably gonna get to take Bades down. Yeah, that's basically, that's basically it. That's all I got to go on. I, I think you're right. Like Filio really did just run it. He ran into a, a fight that there was no way he was ever gonna win. Oh yeah, against no. Mokaev. Of course. Um, but yeah, he's otherwise a much more trustable. Well, he's gonna go out and he's gonna try to have this kind of fight, and if he gets to have this kind of fight, he's very capable of winning it kind right. of fighter where uh Barres is he's just gonna go out there and he's gonna have a fight with somebody and whatever happens happens kind of thing. yeah 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 and Filio can be pretty effective when he does get top positions yeah yeah he, he can be quite aggressive he throws a lot of ground and pounds yeah he will get threatened with submissions and sweeps but his response to that is to deal with them aggressively I don't from what I've seen from Barres he's not gonna have to deal with much yeah 
uh, once he gets spotted on the on the mat. But if for some reason Filio can't get the ta- Filio can't get the takedowns, then Barres might is probably much more likely to outpunch him standing. Frankly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Filio opened at minus one hundred five, currently minus one sixteen. Barres opened at minus one ten, is currently at plus one hundred five. It should be dead even. Oh yeah, yeah. These fights, Bannon, Brazil, Filio, Barres, these are dead even fights. Yeah, they found the Europeans they had and some other people they also yeah. had and threw them together. For our Substack subscribers, stick around. We'll have just a little tiny bit of bonus content coming at you. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.